Um, but uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been, we're in a series called Love Like Jesus. And um, so, of course, we are, have tried to look at this theme or this subject of love like Jesus through our mission statement here at Simple Church. And our mission statement is to love God, love people, and serve the world. And so when we look at those three things together, we've said, all right, how did Jesus do this? As disciples, we want to look and say, what did he do? And um, before we could even get into that, we wanted to explore what the word love meant. And so in the Greek, there are three forms of the word love. There's phileo love, eros love. Phileo is like a brotherly love. Eros is like a, uh, a husband and wife kind of love, a romantic kind of love. And then, of course, agape love, which is the unconditional love that God has for us. Unconditional means there's no conditions on it. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how you've lived your life, God loves you unconditionally in this way. And so... When we read the scriptures and we see the word love pop out, and when it's talking about how we should love someone, we need to know that oftentimes that word there that was used or translated from the Greek was agape love. In other words, I'm supposed to love you with an agape love. That means that when I love you, I have no expectation of anything back from you. If you ask me for something, I should never expect it back. I'm supposed to just give, and you're supposed to give from that agape love, just the same way God has loved you, okay? And so for the last couple of weeks, we've explored that. And one of the greatest verses that kind of explains what agape love is, is in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I know I've read it every week, but I think it lays a foundation, a good foundation for us. So I'm going to go back and read it. And I think it's going to be up there on the screen as well. But it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I don't know about you, but my love has, I've, I've fallen short of this list multiple times. In my relationship with my wife and my children, my friends, I don't always love in this way. So I know that, that we all could work on this a little bit, right? We all need grace to do this, to live from a place of agape love, not a conditional love like eros or phileo love, okay? And it's important to understand and respond to the implications of this verse uh, and the, the kind of love that we're supposed to have, especially because our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. And so to love God and people with agape love will cost you something, it will make you empty out of yourself in order to accomplish it, right? And so this week we're finishing the series with Love Like Jesus, and we're going to finish our mission statement, which is serve the world. So we did love God. We've done love people. I want to encourage you that if you were not here for those services, you can get onto our website and you can listen to all the podcasts. The messages are there, or you can go onto iTunes, type in Simple Church Ohio, and all of our stuff pops up. Please listen to it. It'll, it'll really add to what's going on here. I know some of you have 35-minute drives to work. That's all the message is. So pop it on on your drive to work or maybe on your way back and just listen to it, okay? All right. So uh, today we're going to look at how Jesus served the world, and I'll share some practical applications of how you can serve in your world, and I'll share a story of how someone in our own congregation is serving the world and, uh, and living out this command in her life. And it's a really wonderful story. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Uh, I'd rather just show it and then let that be the service today. But uh, it, it would only be six and a half minutes. And then, you know, then what are we going to do? It's too early to go to lunch. So I'm going to keep talking for a bit. 
All right, so anybody here have a collection of, like, superheroes at home that you line up and then you look at them and you kind of size them up and you begin to ponder over and over again which one of them is, like, the greatest? No, is that just me? Okay. No, Doug, back here. I got you. you. You and me. All right. Well, my son and I, Trent, we play this game quite often. He has these superhero dolls. And, yes, I said dolls. They're not action figures. Let's be honest. They're dolls. And, uh, and he has these superhero dolls, and he lines them up on the table, and he goes, Dad, which one do you think is the best? Which one do you want to be today? And I'm like, well, let's see. And he, we have to deal with only the ones he's got in front of him. For whatever reason, he does not have a Superman doll. I don't know what that's all about. I know, right? So I have to choose from the other ones. Or he'll go, no, that's who you were last time. Let's, who are we going to be again? And so we play this game, and it's a great time for he and I to connect. And we pull out our Marvel and our DC comic encyclopedias because we have those at my house. And uh, we want to make an informed decision as to who the best superhero is. We look at their motivations, their powers, good or evil, their history. We we look at everything. We want to make an informed decision. And it's a a fun time. It really is. It's silly, but it's something he loves. It's something I love. It's, It's good stuff. And I know that it's silly, but this is the way my son and I connect. And so, but I wonder how many of us in like the real world actually do that. It's not about our superhero dolls. I mean, how many of you this morning, and you don't have to raise your hands, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but how many of you walked into this room, started sizing up everybody in the room? Well, I'm better than that person. Well, that person doesn't look like they've got it together. And we do that, right? We do it often. It doesn't matter whether it's at work and we're sizing up the new guy on the job or we're putting our spouse down in our minds because they're the weaker sex or they're, maybe they're not as educated as us or they don't make as much money as us or maybe they're a stay-at-home parent and so they don't work and we put them down and we, we think I'm better than them. And so, or maybe it's the, somebody at school who's a little different than us either because of their hobbies or their sports or maybe, you know, in my case, sometimes the lack of sports. Um, that they didn't play, or you, you, you size people up, or maybe, maybe it's you just looking around the church and judging people and say, well, I don't sin the way they do, so that makes me better than them. Let me just insert some truth here for you, okay? You ready for this? This is free. This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. Just going to throw this out here. That the Bible says to offend the law in one point, that means that any sin to offend the law, the law of sin and death, in any point is to offend the whole law. That means that there is no sin that is great or small in God's eyes. Amen? And it says, all of us have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody in here, no matter how great or small you want to call your sin, the Bible says that the smallest sin is as great as the biggest sin in your mind. That means that that gossip is no different than adultery, that lying is no different than murder, that backbiting is no different than stealing. God has made no distinction. So sin is sin. And according to the word of God, all of us have sinned. So stop judging other people who sin different than you are. Just knock it off. It is not your place. Jesus, when asked to make a differentiation between some people and who was right and who was wrong, Jesus said, go home and get the plank out of your eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus didn't even want to draw that distinction and say what sin was greater than the other because there is none. When you go home and you spend time in your prayer closet or in your bedroom or in your car, wherever that is that you get honest and real with yourself with God, Consider your own sin. That's what Jesus was telling us to do. Humble yourself and look at your own sin. Because if you do that, you won't be pointing your finger at anybody. You've heard the phrase, you point one finger at somebody and you've got three pointing back at you, right? Jesus was letting us know if you look at your own sin first, you will be so humiliated that you'll never point at anybody else's. When the weight of our sin is on us, we won't judge others. We'll love them because God loves us. Amen? 
That's free. It's nothing to do with the service, okay? Just, I just wanted to put it in there because it just, just irritates me. We walk around judging people. I hate that. All right, so where were we? So it's easy in sports to determine who's good and bad, right? We've got stats cards for that, right? Anybody a sports fan out here? You can know. You go, all right, we've got the fantasy football teams or fantasy baseball, basketball teams. We go, let's look at their stats. What does it say about them? And we know who's good and who's bad. But people, in general, don't come with stat cards. That'd be easy, right, if they did. You know, if we've got somebody, I can say, all right, what's Shanda's stats? And I can flip over her card and I can look and say, all right, I want her on my team. But she's not that way. And we aren't, our value is not judged by our stats or what we've done or where we've been or what we can do. It's more about whose we are. And whose we are is God's. We are children of God, and he loves us all. And so our worth is not found in what we've done. Our worth is not found in our stat cards. But God loves us, and that makes our worth go, like, way through the roof. It seems so easy to get caught up in this kind of comparative environment, right? It's so easy for us to slip into. You can judge somebody by their car, by the salary that they make. You can look at yourself, and you're always looking here and go, yeah, i got to admit, better than those guys. It's so easy to do that, and I want to tell you that the disciples in the Bible were no different than us. They're men just like us. They're 12 guys. These guys, if you, if you read the Bible and actually understand, these guys were, they just, they, they just weren't intelligent. I'm just going to tell you. They were not. That's why I'm so thankful. I figure I get lumped in with these guys. You, know, you don't have to be brilliant to be a follower of Christ, and so like, I'm right there with them. And uh, Peter's one of my favorites. We, we can talk about Peter another time, and so... Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the Bible. We're going to be in Luke 9, 46 through 48. If you're here today and you need a Bible, we'd like to give you one. We have Bibles. We'll bless you with one. Just raise your hand. Let us know that you're here. We will put a Bible in your hand. It is yours to take home. Uh, and then, of course, the verses will be up. Oh, and they're already up on the screen. There you go. So we are in Luke 9, 46 through 48. And so what is the, the backstory of what's happened here is Jesus just gave the disciples power to, to go out and to cast out devils and to heal people and to minister, right? And he charged the 12 and he sent them out. And as soon as they come back, everything has gone to their head because an argument breaks out amongst the disciples. And it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. They've got this superhero complex, right? Oh, well, I did this. Well, I did that. Well, I saw 10 people give their hearts to God today or repent and be baptized. Well, I saw 15 get healed. It's like, all right, everybody was comparing their stats cards. Which one of us is greatest? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is identifying a child. Now, if you were to compare... A, a, you got a child, male or female, none of these characters matter, but we've got a, 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 a small child, maybe eight or nine, then a 15-year-old, and then a fully grown adult. Which one of them is the greatest among you? And during this time, a child would be the weakest and the child would be the least valuable. And so Jesus grabs a hold of the child and says, we're going to flip this paradigm. You may think that the adult who has experience, you may think that the adult who has value, all these, these things that we place value in, you may think he's the greatest. But it's not. Jesus grabs the child and says, this child is the greatest. So much time goes by, and guess what? This dispute arises again. And it happens around a time at the Passover, just like we, we did communion today. This is happening at the first time communion happens. It's at the Passover dinner, and it is in Luke 24 through uh, 24 through 27 and jesus is kind of parenting a little bit i love this about jesus he has the patience enough to reiterate himself okay so this is the second time he's telling his disciples 
A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I told you they weren't that bright. They didn't get it the first time when Jesus told them. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. Here's that comparison to a child again. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? And what's the answer to that? The one who's at the table is like royalty or somebody that I'm here to be served. I'm going to sit at this table. Anybody ever gone to a restaurant before where there was waiters and waitresses? I think that's a common experience, right? Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure because if I had to explain that, I'd take the time to do it. I love you enough to do that. But we go to a restaurant. We sit down. We are there to be served. It's why we tip at the end of the meal. We are there to be served. And so the person at the table is there to be served. And, and in the restaurant's eyes, you are the greatest. The customer is always right. They do all these things for customer service. It's all about the customer. Okay? And so Jesus says, so who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? And everybody's like, yes. And he goes, but I am among you as one who serves. Here is Jesus. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. And he said, I came to serve you. But the disciples still aren't getting it. And so Jesus gets up and demonstrates to him to them what he means. And oddly enough, what I'm about to describe to you is not recorded in Luke. Now, there are four Gospels, right? The four Gospels and all are accounts of Jesus' lives. Four different people gave four different perspectives. And what they wrote in each one of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, were all things that they felt were important to the Jesus story. Okay? For whatever reason, Luke does not include what happens next in the story, but John does. So we go to John. John was one of the disciples who was there as well. And in John 13, 2 through 17, we see that Jesus has told them once in Luke 9. He told them again. And now Jesus is going to demonstrate what he means because the disciples just are not reading what he's writing. They're not picking up what he's throwing down. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus, John 13, 2 through 17, the evening meal was in progress. This is the Passover meal. He had just broken bread with them. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I imagine this is like a George of the Jungle butt flap kind of thing, okay? And it's my imagination. You let me have it, okay? And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Peter's getting belligerent. He's a little sarcastic. And this is Jewish, Jewish sarcasm here coming through. He says, you're not just going to wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is already clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There are so many lessons. That verse and and that, that section of scripture is so rich. But what I want to focus on is what Jesus did. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has already stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, was born in an animal shelter, and laid in a trough. He humiliated himself, or humbled himself rather, humbled himself and stepped out of heaven and came to this earth to be here for us, to live a life, to die so that we didn't have to, so that we could be forgiven. Jesus humbled himself and became the ultimate servant for us. The Bible says there's no greater thing than a man would lay down his life for a friend. And that's what Jesus did for us. He'd already humbled himself, and here he's humbling himself again. How many of you at work, your boss just comes to you one day and says, Hey, uh, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm, I, I just feel like I should wash your feet. <laughs> if you've got a really good boss, he might. He might understand that to lead, he has to serve. But a lot of bosses aren't like that. They lead based on their power. If you don't do this, I will fire you. You do this, you do that. They don't lead by example. They don't serve in a way that humbles themselves. And yet Jesus does just that. He girds himself with a butt flap and begins to wash his disciples' feet like a lowly servant of the household. Now you need to understand that washing somebody's feet was because they wore sandals and they walked on the dusty roads all day long. They could have had the bath that morning, so the rest of them is clean, but their feet would always be covered in dust. Not only dust, but animal dung as well. There's donkey poo all over the roads because that's what people rode. That horses animals and so they're walking through that and so to enter somebody's house it was customary to have a servant the host may humble themselves and do it but more often than not there was a servant who would greet you you would slide off your sandals they would wash your feet and a servant was not somebody that you acknowledged servant was not somebody you said cheerio charlie how you doing today you know it's not you don't talk to them like that you don't make eye contact they just had a job to do they were the lowest person in the house and they would wash your feet they would wash the Donkey poo off your feet. Because nobody wants donkey poo in their house. Nobody. I don't. And so Jesus lowers himself further. Not only is he now walking on this earth, out of glory and out of heaven, has he, he's given up his rights. He's given up angels bowing to him and singing holy, holy, holy and hanging out in heaven to being a man. And now he's washing people's feet. Jesus is setting the ultimate example for his disciples. And this is the third time that he's had to bring it home for them. He told them twice and then he shows them exactly what it means to serve. And it makes, makes me wonder about the disciples, but it also makes me wonder about us because I don't think we're any different than them. We're just regular people. Are we really getting it? Are we as stiff-necked as the disciples? Are we just not listening to what Jesus is saying? Are we getting it? And Jesus really wants his disciples, you know, the original 12, and us to get something from this example. To be considered the greatest in God's kingdom, we must be willing to be considered the least. We must put ourselves in that position. And I don't mean somebody puts us there. I mean put yourself there. In a position to serve. In a position to serve somebody who can't give back to you. In a position to serve 
someone in a way that they couldn't even have dreamed to serve. It isn't easy to give up a six-digit salary or to sell everything and move to a country where you don't know anyone, all in the name of serving that country for the glory of God. But missionaries do it all the time. They give up their personal belongings. They sell everything, and they go. Now, I'm not telling you to sell everything and go and be a missionary, but there are people that are so moved because they get what Jesus was demonstrating. It is our responsibility to become servants. And in today's society, we are pleasure seekers, lovers of entertainment. Comfort is what we crave. We aren't seeking how we can serve people. We aren't prepared like the Good Samaritan was and ready to serve people. We are selfish and prideful generation. We seek only what's good for us. We are seeking to be served always. Always. So we put up our privacy fences. We build bigger houses. We drive faster cars. And all for what? How is that serving anyone? Now, I don't have a problem with privacy fences. And I don't have a problem with big houses. But when you do all these things in lieu of serving anybody, if you aren't serving along with that, you're missing the point. You're gathering a lot together for yourself and for what end? What is the purpose? But as disciples, Jesus is calling us to serve like he did, to humble ourselves. And sometimes that will mean serving people in a way that is out of your pain. That means serving somebody the way you were served. Maybe there was a time in your life where you were brokenhearted. Jane, I know we heard so many stories as we've talked the last few days of how many young people have been into your house and you served them. You serve them unconditionally. And you even said yesterday, if you need anything, you know where I'm at. That's love. That's serving. And I don't know your personal experience. I don't know your experience and whether that was because of something that happened in your life, but I know the way that you serve. So we have somebody here today, somebody in our congregation who is doing just that. And I'm using her as an example because I love her story. Tragedy happens to all of us at times and difficulties come our ways but it's how you live out of that it may be an opportunity to serve people and so i'm not going to tell any of the story i'm just going to can we bring the lights down whoever's got the lights bring the lights down i'm going to play a video and this is a video of mindy white mindy and doug are here today and uh, i asked mindy if she'd come up and share with us and and uh and you know we opted to go with the video route so i, I hope you enjoy this video but she's here today, and she'd be happy to talk to you about any of her experience after service. Would love to connect you with her. She'll even have some things at her table if you'd like to get involved in what she's doing. Um, but this is just a fantastic testimony, so I'm just, I'm just going to let it roll. I think a big round of applause is in order for that. I think it's amazing how Mindy and Doug have taken something in their life that has happened and used it as a point to begin to serve to humble themselves and say, you know what, if we're hurting like this, there are people hurting like this as well. And so she has several samples today, but this is just one of the blankets that she's made, and they're just beautiful, beautiful. To give these out to the families, thank you, Shanna, to give these out to the families and um, to give them something to hold on to during, during a time of tragedy and to serve them in such a way is an amazing service to the community and to people. And so you'll be out after service, and people can talk to you if they'd like to get involved. And they can even learn. You'll teach them how to do that. And so that'll be a blessing. But for some of you, you're here and you say, well, all right, well, I have nothing like that where I can serve and plug in. So 
I will give you a few simple ways, and then we'll close out our service today. A few simple ways. We'll use an acronym called BLESS, okay? It's B-L-E-S-S. And uh, I'll just kind of steam through them. But they are, from the very beginning, God's way to serve the world has been a blessing strategy. So, of course, we use the acronym BLESS because serving somebody is like blessing them. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to bless people. Every single blessing you ever received was given to you so that you could bless others with it. That's gifts, it's talents, that's your time. You can bless other people with all of that. And so the B in the BLESS acronym is begin with prayer. Commit to start every day in prayer by asking God to use you in some way to bless somebody. Be bold and ask for divine appointments. What's a divine appointment? It's one of those situations you find yourself in with an opportunity to be a blessing to someone in a way that you never could have imagined. When you begin your day asking for the opportunity to bless somebody, you begin that day prepared for an adventure with Jesus. And I love adventures with Jesus. But praying this way will take you places you may not have been before. Praying this way will probably put you with people you don't jive with, people you don't know, people you may not even be comfortable being around. That's okay. Whatever God's got for you to that day, if you could be bold enough to pray, begin your day with prayer. The L is listen. We live in a world where we hardly, anybody really listens. Most people are only interested in what they have to say. And how many of you have been involved in a conversation where somebody is talking to you and all you can think about is the next thing you've got to say. You're not even listening to them. Or maybe you've been involved in a conversation where you, the person you're talking to is, yeah, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. You know they're not listening to you. People very rarely listen anymore. They just don't. And listening is a small thing, a simple thing. I know these are simple things, but that's who we are. And a lot of the things that God asks us to do are always simple. Listen to people. Listen. Listen to your neighbors, your family, your friends, or even a stranger is one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone. Being present and practicing the presence of Jesus in your listening may be as powerful as anything that you ever have to say. Just sitting and listening. Listening lays the relational foundation for any words that we may choose to speak later. When we lay down our assumptions as to what people need, we learn to listen and ask the question, where's God at work in this whole thing? There's some missionaries. I tell the story on our website. There's a, a video of me, and I talk about these missionaries. Two groups of missionaries went into India. One group went in. They had health. They had education. They took Jesus, of course. They took all kinds of things for the people in India, and they just kind of rolled in and did their thing. And they won some people to the Lord, which is amazing. It's always awesome. But there was another set of of missionaries to India that went in, and they said, listen, we have health, we have education, we have all this stuff we can minister to you, but what do you need? And the response was surprising. The response was, we need a mailbox. You see, in India, to have a mailbox puts you on the map. It makes you, this, this tiny village that they went to, to have a mailbox meant you were recognized by the government. It meant they, that there might be roads that would go past you. There would be uh, commerce that would come your way because of travelers. It meant you were physically on a map somewhere. It gave that village an identity. And so these missionaries set out to get a mailbox. And it took them two long years to do it because the paperwork is never ending and it's so sticky to do. 
But those missionaries that went in that listened to what they actually needed did not win a few. They won the entire village. When you listen to somebody, listen for what their needs are. The very first thing we did as Simple Church is we rolled in here and we started visiting with the leadership of the city and said, what is your number one concern? Because we have this, we have this, we have this. What is close and near and dear to your heart? And so we press towards those things. Listening is one of the greatest gifts you can give anybody. The next in the, in the, uh, in the BLESS acronym is EAT. We all love to eat. Believe it or not, here I'm going to read you a quote. It says, Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds great to me. (laughs) To eat with somebody shows acceptance. Jesus was often found eating with the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He had a reputation for it because to eat with them meant, I accept you. And I don't know if it means that so much anymore, like as a social status, but it means the world when somebody takes time or invites me to lunch or dinner and says, I want to sit with you. Because more than just the casual conversation happens, I get to know them. I get to know their stories. I get to know who they are. They get to know what I like. I had a salted caramel mocha this morning from Starbucks because somebody got to know me a little bit this past week. That was amazing. Thank you guys for that. From Starbucks. They're only seasonal, so you got to get one. I'm just saying. But we could literally change the world by eating with them, by accepting people and saying, I accept you. There are two S's in bless. The first one is serve who? The people that Jesus always served were right in front of him. They were in close proximity. So who are the people that are close proximity to you? It's your neighbors. It's the people you work with. It's the people you go to church with. It's the people you pass every day on the street. It's simple. Those are the people you serve. And then you serve them by eating with them. You serve them by listening to them. You serve them by beginning your day with prayer and just opening up your day and saying, God, whoever, I don't care if it's a guy dumpster diving or my boss or the waitress who brings me my food. Who is it that I can serve? People right in front of you are who you get to serve. The last S is story. And this is the most important one. You all have a story, just like Mindy's story. How many of you were touched by her story today? When you share your story, it brings people closer to God. There may be something in your story that is part of their story. If you're like me, you'd say, I don't have a story. I grew up in church. I went to Christian school. Good parents. Good home. Good neighborhood. I had a good. But... My story includes the fact that Jesus is in my life and that there was a me before Jesus and then there was Jesus and then the me after Jesus. So before, during, and after is my story. And somewhere in my story, you may connect with that. I had an opportunity to share my story last year in front of a church and I never 
publicly shared my story. I just didn't think I had anything to share. I shared it over two services, and that day, many gave their lives to Christ. And that day, I prayed with many people who said, something in your story was like my story. And I feel like I can press forward. And I was like, really? But I was blessed and overwhelmed by that, but not more blessed and overwhelmed by the fact that they filmed that and put it on the internet. And I posted it on my Facebook wall, and somebody saw it and listened to it while they were driving. They, they played it threw it in their car seat and driving. And I got a message after they saw it. And they said, Aaron, for the first time in years, God was speaking to me. And he was speaking to me through your testimony. He said, I have to tell you further that I had plans of ending my life. And he said, and God filled the car right where I was sitting when I was listening to you speak. Your story is powerful. A friend of mine who was going to end his life is now living a life of joy and is alive today because I shared my story. It's so simple. It's silly. It's stupid. It's like, nah, that doesn't work. Yes, it does. Share your story. Tell them what life was like before. Tell them what life is like now that Jesus is in your life. Tell them. I don't mean walk up to a complete stranger and say, excuse me, sir, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? (laughs) Just share your story. Tell what Jesus has meant to you. I want to close today with prayer for you. My encouragement is to bless people. Begin your day with prayer. Just ask God. Open up doors. If you really, really want to serve, this is a simple way to do it. If you really want to serve, you don't have to do what Mindy's done. You don't have to have a point of tragedy in your life to serve out of, but I'm so glad that she's using it for that. Because what the devil meant for bad in her life, she's turned around and has made it a blessing for others. You can do the same in yours. But begin with prayer. Listen, eat with people. For crying out loud, eat with people. Serve those that you come into contact with. And share your story. Because you never know who you'll connect with. You never know who God will connect with when you do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. And for the means to share it simply. We thank you for your love that is for us, God. And I pray for all those that are here today, Lord, that we would not live lives of pride and selfishness. Holy Spirit, we pray that that, that you would just convict us of our sin if that's in our life. If we don't realize it's there, lead us into repentance. And then lead us into a life of serving others. Serving the way Jesus did. With humility. Being willing and actively humbling ourselves. To serve the least and the greatest. Of what society would consider. Give us the strength to do it. 
speak to our hearts and let our lives be a reflection of your glory and your love that you have given to us. If you're here today and you have never crossed that line of faith, you've never accepted Christ into your life, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, I don't intend to embarrass anybody. I don't want to. This is not an embarrassment. This is just an opportunity. Maybe you're here and all the things that I'm talking about, the kind of love that God shows people is resounding in your heart and you say, I want that love. I want to know that kind of love. The way to engage in that kind of love is to accept the gift of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? Raise your hand. Let me know that you're here and I'll pray for you. If you want to take that step, of faith and cross that line. Say today, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to know that kind of love. Would you raise your hand? Just let me know that you're here. I'll pray for you. Thank you for those hands. And even if you leave this today, your opportunity is not taken from you. You can get home in your car and you can call out to God. He's listening. He's waiting to hear you. So let me pray for you. Father, for those that raise their hands today, and Lord, those that will confess their faith in you later. Lord, I ask that in this moment and in those moments that you would flood their life with your love. That they would know and feel your love in ways that they've never known before. That they would encounter it, God, in a way that it would change them. It would change how they live. It would change the very makeup of their being. They would be able to live a life that flows from the love you've given them and that they can give to others. Holy Spirit, show them how to live every day for Jesus. Amen.